outstanding. This is uh, Dave Robinson with the Montrose Group. And my gosh, we have uh, the entire Montrose team. So this is really a big event. Um, we're, gonna, we're here today on the Development Debate podcast to talk about uh, really an exciting expansion in a state of Ohio uh, program that you know, we were very engaged in getting the, the, the state law changed to help uh, not just increase the money that was available for the rural industrial uh, park loan program, but also to expand the, the territory that's covered. So again, we have our whole team here. It's not just the usual Dave and Nate show, which, you know, I, I know our value lawyer, listener, our I know, loyal listener. I know our loyal listener finds very entertaining, uh -huh. yep. but we also have Tim Bigham, who is our uh, lobbyist extraordinaire who, you know, I think he pretty much claims single-handed credit. For, for getting the ripple. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I'm pretty much responsible for all the success in Montreal. It's always he's he struggles at self-promotion. Yeah, I'm surprised that you guys let me back on we tell him week's performance. But. Well, we'll see. We didn't say we we're gonna run last week's performance. No. It was recorded. Right. Uh, and then we have Jamie Byer Grant, who of course actually does all of the real work. She actually does the work for right. the group mm -hmm. uh, and has been very engaged in helping public and private sector clients um, gain funding. Um, Jamie, why don't, why don't you kind of give us a, a thumbnail sketch of, of what is this rural industrial uh, park loan program, just kind of the, the, the basics of it? Sure, Dave. Well, I'm glad to be here today and hopefully, you know, pump up the ratings of the podcast, you know. Pump and, up the and, ratings. It's Pump like Nielsen ratings. ratings, Jamie. Yeah, like Nielsen yeah. ratings. We, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, anything I can do to add to, to uh, Tim's Excel spreadsheet of, you know, all the successes and wins he gets, I'm oh, well, happy you know, to help. We, we measure our, you know, dozens of listeners, millions of listeners. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll be able to tell you if, if it, if, if we get a, if we get a bump up or not, that's right. in fact the key. Yeah. We'll get one in Northwest Ohio for sure. Yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, absolutely. All of her family. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. There's, yeah. There'll be dozens of people there. Jamie, Jamie Just will. Just right there. Um, right talking to her parents or aunt and uncle. I mean, it's, uh -huh. it's a very broad uh -huh. group up there. Yeah. It is. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, that being said, let's talk about the rural industrial park loan program. <laughs> absolutely. Um, Go yeah, for it, Jamie. Yeah. Well, you know, I think one of the first things we should start out with is just recognizing that in the state um, budget that was that was just passed, they're changing Ohio Development Services Agency back to the Ohio Department of Development. So that really helps with our acronyms, you know. Yep. Yep. So we've been calling um, it. We've been calling it development for years. We all know that Tim's former boss. Changed it. I mean, I worked for him too, Tim, but you know, your, your take, I'm giving you all the, all the credit, all the credit for it, but we're happy that it's back to the hot Devel department yes. of development. Yep. Yep. The big ODOD much better, much easier to say than DSA. So right. at least from, you know, from our standpoint of being in the business for so long. So, but you know, um, the state of Ohio uh, built this program, this rural industrial park loan program, really to um, be able to provide a funding mechanism for Ohio's rural distressed communities uh, to be able to kind of get into the industrial park or the development game, um, you know, kind of um, to be compatible with what some of the urban and, and uh, micropolitan markets maybe have a leg up on uh, with, with some of the rural communities. And, you know, in the past, um, 
you know, the, the state has looked at what it considers an eligible rural uh, county really based on distress, labor surplus, um, situational distress. Those have really been the primary qualifiers for the program, um, which has, has in the past really created the program to be eligible um, in, you know, a handful of counties, you know, maybe 20 counties, 30 counties throughout the state of Ohio. So uh, a very limited market as to where the Rural Industrial Park Loan Program or Ripple Program, um, you know, could be used. So, um, but like I said, it really helped these rural communities get into the development game um, by providing gap financing or funding to do either the acquisition of land to build out industrial parks or create new industrial parks and areas, um, or even be utilized to uh, be a funding mechanism or a funding partner to build speculative industrial space um, you know, in Ohio's rural communities. So the beauty of this program um, is that the eligible communities um, under, under the old guidelines, like I said, were relatively small. Um, so if you were considered an eligible community, uh, your competition pool was pretty limited, um, but the funding that was available to either expand or, or create industrial parks or uh, build speculative space um, was really nice because you could not only get um, a loan for the program through the program, but it also came with um, a forgivable component to the loan of, you know, 50% roughly um, of the total loan amount that you got from the state. So if you got a two and a half million dollar loan through the Ripple program, you could, you know, upon project completion, uh, you could get 50% of that two and a half million dollars forgiven by development services. So you essentially got, uh, you know, a, a $1.75 million credit, so, or grant. Um, so that was really great uh, for the program. It was really great for these smaller communities to be able to afford, um, you know, to do some of these types of development projects. So, yeah. and, and Jamie, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's a good, you know, uh, high level perspective on the program. We, we have been fortunate to help a number of, of, you know, public sector and private sector entities go after this funding. Cause as Jamie mentioned, the rural communities uh, you know, they just need some additional assistance, uh, you know, because the larger private sector industrial developers who are also fortunate to be doing, we're fortunate to be doing work for, um, help get sites entitled and prepared. Uh, the rural markets, for the most part, are not, not priorities for a lot of those companies. So they're going to make the investments in the larger, the larger metro areas. Um, and, and I tell you what I thought was interesting, and I'll let uh, I'll let Tim jump in here after this is we had a very fun time defining rural and and it was, I think the federal government had three or four different ways of of defining rural um, you know ultimately I think what we landed on was I believe what the, the office of budget man U.S. office of budget and management defines as rural as uh, counties not designated as part of a metropolitan statistical area um, which, believe it or not, is how OBM defines rural. So that um, that was a pretty important. But Tim, from your your perspective, how how do these changes to the to the state's Ripple program uh, kind of expand from a you know from a geographic standpoint? 
Yeah, Dave. I mean, Jamie brought this up. I think, you know, we, we looked at this program and, <clears throat> and uh, you know, ultimately we have a program in Ohio called Rural Industrial Park Loan uh, that didn't really include rural counties. Um, you know, at, at, at its heart, uh, as Jamie, I think, noted, it really only had 20 some counties uh, predominantly in one region of the state. And, and we have, you know, a lot of need, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, definitely growth and, and, and capacity need in, in a lot of our rural counties, particularly in Western Ohio, um, that weren't included. And so you know, we started looking at ways to bring some of those counties in. As Dave just noted, we use the, the OMB definition of rural, um, you know, anything outside of that a metropolitan area, um, which brought in a number of counties, particularly in Western Ohio, uh, you know, counties like Defiance and Auglaize and Mercer and and, and dark and, and some others that, uh, you know, that didn't kind of quite meet um, that original definition. Um, but again, it really wasn't capturing uh, the original law, I think wasn't capturing uh, the changing market in the state from when it was created back in, oh, I could, I think 2007, 2008. Yeah. So, well, and, and again, it wasn't uh, it, these, the narrowness of the program wasn't crafted that way. Um, really to exclude others it was just trying to focus the resources on you know what they basically defined as economically disadvantaged counties so um, you know the program changes don't exclude any current county so if you were if you're eligible you're not um, you know you weren't kind of cut out uh, for funding you know the, there was not a wholesale change to what else you know the the existing eligibility but we you know we were successful in getting the legislature and the governor to agree to uh, include these these non-MSA counties, but really in large part because um, we want to see the program expand, but also we think the market, the private sector market that you're looking to leverage and encourage and bring, you know, additional industrial development and logistics development and, and ultimately jobs and capital investment uh, is going to be highly attracted to a lot of these uh, other rural counties that that you know are rural but are doing maybe a little bit better off economically, and I and I think we came up with I want to say it's now 48 of Ohio's 88 counties are eligible uh, in this, and and don't forget there's more money there, and um, uh, I, I want to say Tim did we almost did we double the money, and what. Uh, I'm getting a little lost in the in the, the dollar totals. I know it was 15 million a year. Uh, yeah, you know, for yeah, the two we, uh, years. yeah. You know, this program came back a couple of years ago and and uh, and was seeded with uh, with 25 million. But with everything that happened with the uh, the coronavirus pandemic and and uh, and state budget reductions, it ultimately had gotten reduced down to 15 million uh, over over that two year period. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, we, I think we, you know, we ultimately now and in, in the, the appropriate amount is doubled, you know, 15 million per year, 30 million over the next two years available, available for this program, which was an important piece. Obviously, when you add more counties, you don't want to dilute, right. uh, dilute the pool uh, too much. So to having the adequate resources for, uh, for these projects is, uh, is an important piece to it. So. Absolutely. Jamie, who, who is eligible for this ripple funding? You know, that's one of, I think, the most attractive components to this Ripple program, other than that uh, loan forgiveness component. But, 
it, eligible applicants can be a county, it can be a municipality, even a township. Um, it can be a community improvement corporation, a port authority, um, even a private developer is an eligible applicant uh, for the money. So when we look at projects in these rural communities, you know, it can be one or um, there, you know, there's a number of different ways typically in a rural community that you need to uh, build that capital stack and, and uh, look for involvement and engagement uh, from both the community and the private sector. So with this program, you know, it can be a public sector entity, it can be a community improvement corporation or a port authority or a private developer. So it really gives a lot of flexibility and latitude to how or who can apply for the money. What types of projects are, the, are, are you know, kind of the sweet spot for this program? You know, really um, what we've seen and in, in our experience, both I think in the Montrose group, if you look at the types of projects that um, we've helped leverage money out of Ripple, and then um, just looking at what some other communities have done that have leveraged these dollars, you know, it's really about land and building acquisition. Um, if there's an existing building um, that you want to maybe look at acquiring, doing some renovations to and, and turning around into a good um um, more modern industrial use. Uh, there's those opportunities. I think building out new industrial parks, establishing new industrial parks in communities um, is a perfect use for the money. And then speculative space. And, and I think, you know, as economic development practitioners around the state know, um, you know, finding good quality, modern industrial space um, is just harder and harder to come by. And so helping to build out that inventory, um, I think is really creates advantages for these rural communities. Well, and, you know, and again, it's, I, I think there's a 25 acre uh, site requirement, which is mm -hmm. world of industrial parks, pretty small. So there's, there's a good, you know, there's a good low, low baseline. What, Jamie, what, what would you see as some of the project costs that can be covered by this program? Well, like I said, land acquisition, uh, public infrastructure, uh, extensions to the site, anything that really has to do with like site preparation work, you know, and that could be, um, you know, anything even to having to build a retention pond um, on site, flood drainage improvements, uh, railway access, I think is, you know, an awesome way to use the money to, um, you know, bring other sorts of transportation infrastructure to the sites. Um, you know, gas, electric, fiber. Um, fiber is becoming more and more important um, in, in communities, especially rural communities. So, you know, it does give some broad um, application as to the types of eligible expenditures or investments in the program, which is perfect, which is exactly what we need to, to be able to build these sites and buildings out um, appropriately. Right. And obviously, you know, building construction, which will be the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the largest expense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's critical to understand that, you know, you can't use the money for refinancing for retail projects, uh, buyouts, um, mm -hmm. purchase a company stock, working capital. It's really going to relate to what I would describe as the capital expenses, you know, associated with that, with that park. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they can, the, the, the ripple, uh, you know, could finance up to 75% of the project costs. So it's a, can be a pretty large share. Um, loans ranging from 500,000 to, to 2.5 million. Um, I, I don't know, Jamie, do you, what, you know, what would you see as being a, a reasonable request? Do you think you can get 2.5 million? You think, 
you think going in on the high end makes sense or you think trying to get something a little bit lower? I don't know what Nate thinks about that as well, but there's always a little bit of art and science to this. You know, you got to kind of figure out what's allowed, but what has a decent chance of succeeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, the number of, of loans that go out at two and a half million dollars, especially if we're looking now at 48 counties uh, that are eligible, you know, I think we're going to have to, you know, make a pretty compelling argument for that full two and a half million dollars. Um, but I, you know, I definitely don't want to exclude going after the full two and a half million dollars because, you know, we've done it and been successful at it before. But, you know, it all depends on the scope of project. I think the demonstrated need um, in the market for uh, the type of project, whether it's an industrial park or spec building, you know, and the costs in some communities extending public infrastructure might be a lot easier to get a site ready, whereas in other communities, you know, it, it could be a, a good distance away and, and uh, you know, the community really needs industrial space in order to um, you know, stay in the economic development game. So it warrants it. I, you know, I, I really just think it depends on the nature of the project. Um, so finding that sweet spot. And I think too, having dialogue with Department of Development, um, with, you know, the, the program leads to say, here's our project, here's the scope, here's, you know, we've sharpened our pencil to the point where this really is our need for the project um, and, and getting their feedback because you're going to get a sense from, you know, staff as to where they see the sweet spot being in, in a request. Yeah. yeah and I, you know, and I, I think too, I, I mean, as Jamie said, we've had success going after two and a half million dollars. Um, the, the projects have to warrant that. They have to be really good projects. I think one of the things that we have to make sure of is that they, that, that they meet the high bar, they meet the high hurdle. This isn't something where you put together some plan and you just go in and say, hey, we've got a five million dollar project. You've got to have construction numbers already ready. You've got to have the rest of your financing in place. You've got to make sure that, you know, that you're building a building that's that's going to be a spec building that has a floor in it and has everything else um, to do it. And I think if you have all of those things in place, then we can get the full two and a half million. Yeah, it's, I, not, I, I, it's not, I would say it's a little different than other programs because it's a rolling program and we know it so well. It's not like going to Jobs Ohio and saying, you know, the maximum is three and a half, but we know we can really only get a million. No, I think we can, if it's a good project, and it has financing, it has good partners, then we can get to that million. Well, and I, and I think your likelihood of getting more money is directly related to how ready you are to do the project. Yeah. If, if you're ready, if you've got your agreements in place with the construction company and you've got uh, you know, control of the land and you've got the zoning, um, you know, if you want incentives, you got the incentives in place or other, other infrastructure finance, tools, you know, lined up. And this is the last 2.5 million you need to get it done. I, I think you got a better shot at getting the money. Yeah. The, the, the other thing I would add, and this is just from practical experience of working with, with private sector clients on this, is the private sector clients really have to, they have to have their other financing uh, lined up, but also ready to work with the state as to how all of this is going to work. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's no, it's important because it is, it's government money. Yeah. And you've got to make sure that you're willing to do, do what they need. I mean, the, the staff at development is very flexible and is willing to work with us and figure these things out, but there's still ultimately um, government regulations and rules and laws that we've got to follow. And the private sector has to 
you know, make sure they understand that. And yeah, I, I, I think in this case, the government's the easier one to deal with. I think in a lot of cases, there's some uh, typically, if it's going to be a smaller bank, mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of these folks are going to go to for financing. Um, they may, they may not have ever been involved in a deal where the government is a source of funding, yeah. you know, uh, in, in a way like this. I mean, you know, maybe it may be SBA or maybe some smaller programs, smaller loan amounts, but, but certainly not a seven figure, um, contribution. And that, um, uh, again, you know, we're, we're usually engaged in trying to move the government along from a, from a speed standpoint, but quite frankly, if the company isn't ready, if they don't have all their ducks in a row, um, that, that is going to slow the, slow the pace down. Yep. Um, you know, Dave, one thing too, to your point about many of these projects happening with maybe smaller community banks or regional banks is the, the program is designed as takeout financing. So if you have a $5 million project, you know, you got to get the bank comfortable with fronting that $5 million with Ripple coming in and taking out, you know, if you get a two and a half million dollar award coming in at, you know, after the project is completed and taking out, you know, their portion of the financing. So, you know, especially with smaller community banks, um, it's hard to wrap your arms around maybe a $5 million project, but then having to look at Ripple as takeout financing, you know, I think knowing that up front, um, it certainly helps and, and really enhances the project, but knowing upfront that it's takeout money, I think is really important when you're going to the bank and having those conversations. Absolutely, absolutely. What, what is the typical interest rate for these deals? Um, you know, it's determined by development staff. Um, it could be as low as 0% for the first five years. Um, you might be able to structure it where you're just paying, um, um, you know, 0% for the first five years, unless you, you land a client in there um, that either buys the building or leases a majority of the building, then that would, you know, maybe trigger um, uh, an increase in the interest rate. But there's also flexibility where you can do the first um, portion of the, the loan term, you know, with deferred P&I, or you're just paying interest um, during the construction period. So there's, you know, the, the great thing is that developments, uh, Department of Development is really flexible with how it looks at the interest rate to make sure the project is manageable, feasible, affordable for the community, um, but then also being able to do something, um, some creative structures in, in um, you know, how the, the, term and, and structure is set up, I think is really important too for those those communities. What 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 does the company or the community have to promise from a job creation standpoint? Obviously it's a development department program, so mm -hmm. job creation capital investment discussion, but what specifically, you know, are there is this like, you know, the state's job creation tax credit where it's got to have a payroll, specific payroll number? How how does that how does that work, Jamie? Well, I mean, that's even different as well. Um, there's no fixed job creation or retention requirement for the program, but what you really need to do is you need to tee up the project to say, um, you know, here are the highest and best uses, the, the potential types of um, end users in the industrial manufacturing realm that are gonna use this uh, building or need this building. And then what are, you know, what are estimates around the types of um, jobs that would be created, the numbers of jobs that be, would be created? You know, the applications will ask for you to make an estimate, um, but it needs to be, you know, a good faith estimate around who you think the end user 
or the type of business that you think the end user might be, um, and then even what sorts of payroll might be um, associated with those jobs. So there's no job commitment uh, that's required, but development really wants to get a good sense of the type of business that's going to go in there and the types of jobs and payroll that would likely be associated with that. Right. Um, you know, and, and another component to this project is um, if you're looking at using the program, need to make sure that, you know, who are the other or what are the other industrial parks in your community because, um, you know, development will take a look at whether or not um, there's competition that that one of their funded projects might create in the community. And you want to be able to either explain how that competition enhances the work that you're doing or that there is no competition that exists. And, and this program is really vital to, um, you know, creating either land or or available space in the yeah. community. What what from a equity standpoint does the does the borrower have to have to contribute for this program. You know, and again, what I would get across, and, and it's difficult for a lot of private sector entities in particular, you know, who may be a little surprised by some of these questions because they'll start to look at us and say, well, this sounds like I'm talking to a bank. Um, and reality is with these programs in, in different states that exist, some states, some states don't, don't get in the business of loans, but states like Ohio that do, you are talking to a bank. Mm -hmm. um, it's a public bank, uh, but the reality is you should kind of walk into this conversation, you know, understanding that, you know, they're not, this has that, as Jamie mentioned, this has a forgivable loan aspect to it, but, you know, they want this to be an evergreen fund. They want, they want to get paid back so it can grow, you know, over time. Evergreen fund, Dave. That's, you like that? I mean, that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a know. graduate of the Bowling Green State University. The I, Bowling I, Green I, State I, University. I got words like that. You I got words, big, you know, big words. But it, but you know, so you look at you look at equity, you look at security, you look at collateral. Mm -hmm. um, that takes me back to you know some painful class in law school, many many years ago. But those Real are going to be those are going to be key terms for, yeah. for mm -hmm. public and private sector entities to understand that it is the ultimate goal of the development department. Um, for this, you know, for them to be repaid, you know, a good chunk of this money so the program can, can continue and prosper. So what, yeah. Amy, what do you see as, as what, what this program is going to require from, from equity, security, and collateral? Well, from an equity standpoint, you know, the minimum is 10%, 10% equity contribution to the cost. Now that could be cash, um, or if, uh, let's say, a county is the applicant or a county is the partner, maybe the developer is the applicant, but the county's got the land, um, ownership of the land, you can, you can count the land uh, value towards that equity contribution. Certainly, you know, just like a bank, the more equity, the stronger the project, but uh, the minimum requirement is 10% of the total uh, project costs, not of the ripple request, but of the total project costs. And then, you know, Dave, to your point, um, you know, it is state money, but it's development in this ripple program acts just like a bank does. So when we look at security and collateral, they're going to ask for many of the same things. They're going to mirror many of the same things that the private lender is going to um, from a security position and a collateral position. Um, one thing that the banks really do like is that um, there's a shared first priority mortgage. So development doesn't uh, require or the Ripple program doesn't require um, a sole first position. 
so that that helps the bank with you know mitigating their risk in the project while also still you know protecting and positioning the state money um, you know in in a, a comfortable position or a secure position. So go into it thinking everything that I have to provide to the bank, I'm going to have to provide to the the Department of Development for the Ripple program. Um, you know, from information, uh, you know, tax returns, and then, you know, from the state's uh, security position, they're, they're going to require, um, you know, a lot of what, what the banks are going to require. And they're going to take a look at what the banks are going to require, um, whether it's equity, collateral, what have you, um, and the likelihood that they mirror uh, what the bank requires, you know, is, is uh, something to expect. Well, you know, absolutely. And again, I, I think the I think the exciting uh, part of the geographic expansion, but also the fiscal expansion of the program is it's being done at a time when the industrial market is just white hot. And whether it's uh, the logistics play that's, that's obviously tied into the growth, the, the explosion of e-commerce, um, you know, that the COVID's kind of been gasoline, you know, on the fire for, um, or, you know, I think there's a lot of potential for this uh, supply chain, you know, uh, you know, reshoring back to the U.S. Uh, uh, you know, you look at you look at what's going on. If you talk to you talk to a car dealer or you talk to a lot of folks on on the retail end of of a lot of uh, our our economy, um, there's <laughs> there's a lot of arguments that we should be making. Uh, a lot more of our supply chain for our manufacturing base back in the United States. So again, the timing could be great because, uh, you know, from a corporate site location standpoint, we can absolutely confirm that, that the majority of manufacturing facilities are, are located in rural areas. There's really not many uh, large scale, uh, you know, urban core manufacturing uh, projects that are that are being announced for the most part those are going to be in rural communities and this this loan program could be a, the perfect way to, to develop those sites because we can also tell you um, those projects are going to the sites that are ready you know that that you know the speculative buildings are just being picked up um, you know nearly instantly uh, from what we've seen from the from the development standpoint so we're excited about it because it's the, the timing of it is is also perfect for the market so uh, i don't you know i don't know i think we've i think we have uh i think we've covered the ripple program pretty well i, I think don't we've covered it all anyone has any exciting thoughts yeah. no i would no. just say that it's uh it, it's uh let's Ohio continue to lead the way and and you know couple with other programs it's it's an opportunity to to uh incentivize and and grow from businesses in our rural counties, which we know is important for the state. It's a great yep. point. And, and again, yep. we do a 50 state corporate site location guide and I'm not sure, North Carolina may have about the only thing that's close to it from a from a rural uh, investment. Yeah, there's not many, mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's not, not a lot others, of it out there. there. Yeah, there's not a lot of states that offer that, that loan with a forgivable piece that's really favorable to places that there's there may not be a lot of capital flow. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I think we all survived. The whole team was here. The whole we, team. There was no fighting, which is always good. We fight so well. Often. There's a lot of fighting. We always fight. I just so can't. So we don't need to air our dirty laundry. Um, but I think that's it, and we'll uh, we'll be back next week. All right. Thank you. Thanks.
To learn more about the Montrose Group services, please visit MontroseGroupLLC.com.